Great work, Sarah. Tough passage to read. Give her a round of applause. <laughs> well, we are in the last chapter. I'm Andrew, by the way, if I haven't met you before. Great to have you here. We're in the last chapter of the book of Romans, which many people call the greatest letter ever written, the most influential letter ever written. And so you've got to feel for Paul. There must have been a lot of pressure. How's he going to finish it? How's he going to wrap it all up? I remember uh, when the world was waiting for the final Harry Potter book. And uh, I was one of those people just excited and I couldn't wait. And there was so much pressure on J.K. Rowling. How is she going to finish it? How is she going to wrap it up? You know, who would Harry marry? All that kind of stuff. So much pressure. And here's Paul. He's got his, you know, final chapter of the book of Romans. And if you're like me, you heard that read just then, and you go, really? That's the ending? I've spoken to a number of people today uh, uh, in other services who said they heard the Bible reading, and they thought, well, this is going to be a boring sermon. <laughs> and, um, you know, you kind of read it, like verse 1 to 16 is a bunch of names, and verse 21 to 23, same thing. It kind of feels like the credits at the end of a movie, yeah? You go to the cinemas, you watch the movie, the credits roll, and unless you're a massive nerd fan of the film, you just get up and leave because the action is finished. It's all happened. And you know, sure enough, many people, when they preach through Romans, they do Romans 1 all the way to 15, and if you're lucky, they might mention Romans 16, but most of the time it doesn't even make it onto the preaching schedule. Just move on to the next series. You know what, as I've been reflecting on this chapter over the last week, there is treasure here for us, 6pm. There is gold here for us in this final chapter of the masterpiece of the book of Romans. So let's dig into the gold. Three things Paul wants to say to us as he finishes this masterpiece book. Number one, workers. Appreciate the workers. Paul has been talking throughout the whole letter about the gospel. This good news of Jesus Christ, God's King, God's Saviour, who brings forgiveness and mercy. And here he talks about the gospel workers. These are people who work at preaching and teaching and telling people about Jesus, spreading the gospel. He lists 26 different people who are working for the gospel. Now, most of them aren't in full-time paid ministry, by the way. Uh, these are people who, you know, worked other jobs, and yet they volunteered and passionately served by sharing the good news of Jesus. They were gospel workers. We can often get this impression that the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, was some kind of spiritual lone ranger. Like he went out on his own, and he was a pioneer planting churches left, right, and center. He didn't need anyone. He was just out there solo. But he needed people. This is his team. He, he had a team of people around him serving alongside him. I just finished watching the three Lord of the Rings films, extended editions, of course. And, you know, this is, this is Paul's Fellowship of the Ring. This is Paul's Avengers from Marvel. I mean, this is... This is his team. This is his crew. And this is just the Church of Rome. He writing to 26 of them, greeting them. 
See, one of the beautiful things about the church is we are a team, a gospel team. And uh, we all have gifts. We all have different ways to serve. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I used the illustration that the church isn't like a bus where you kind of take a seat and then the minister's driving the bus, he does all the work. The church is like an orchestra where we've all been given a symphony to perform and all been given different roles to play and different gifts to play. And Paul is part of this gospel team. Now, when you look at this team, this lineup of names, there's a bunch of things that stand out. Number one is this. These are hard workers. These are hard workers. Let's be a church that works passionately and works hard for Jesus. Look at verse 6. He says, Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Trephosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. And then back up at verse 4, he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. He said, They risked their lives for me. These people working so hard for Jesus, they're risking their very life, which is filled with sacrifice for the gospel. See, ministry isn't always easy, is it? It's not always easy. As I look around this room, I know plenty of you, you work long hours throughout the week, long days, and then you come home on a Friday night tired and go to youth to tell teenagers about Jesus. Or you work long hours or you have a, a, a young kids or whatever it is and yet you, you back up and do a connect group or uh, help behind the scenes or help with cleaning or help with admin or whatever it is. Our church is filled with hard workers for Jesus. I'm so encouraged. Ministry is not always going to be easy. Maybe you're sticking up your hand to go to this new church plant and who knows what God has in store? Maybe the first few years we may see very little fruit. It could be really hard. Maybe you're trying to get a little Bible study off the ground in your workplace and you're facing ridicule from colleagues. It's hard. But we, the reason why these people are so driven to work so hard for the gospel, I think, is because they know the gospel, God's grace. They're motivated by God's amazing love for them, that even when they had run away from God, he still loved them and gave up his son for them. And they're driven by that grace and that love. They're working hard for Jesus. The next thing that is striking about Paul's gospel team that he's writing to in the Church of Rome is that these are diverse people. These are diverse people. God's church is one of the most diverse places on earth. I really believe that. They're diverse in terms of race. A bunch of them are Jews, but a bunch of them are Gentiles. They're diverse in terms of class. We know that a bunch of the people on the list here are quite wealthy. They're quite rich. Some of them are holding house churches in their home. So they're not in some kind of tiny one-bedroom apartment. They kind of, they're wealthy enough to get a bit of an upgrade. They've got a bigger living area, an entertaining deck, and they're holding church in their living room. Other people we know are wealthy because I mean, we meet in verse 23, Erastus, who's the city's director of public works. So he's, you know, he's likely a politician or, or a well-known civil leader. He's using his wealth, he's using his power, to, his influence to serve the church. 
So you've got quite wealthy people in this list, and yet you've also got slaves. Historians have studied the names, and we know from other places in the Bible as well, some of the background of these people, some of these people are slaves or ex-slaves. They're not wealthy. That's a beautiful picture of diversity. And it's also a diverse list in terms of gender. Out of the 26 people listed here, nine of them are women. Nine of them are women. Verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chencray. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Phoebe there, she's described as a deacon, which could just be a translation of the word servant, just be a servant, or actually could be a bit more of a formal role, leadership role in the church. Uh, deacons in the church often were leaders who helped with caring for the sick or caring for the poor. She's described as a benefactor or a patron. So Phoebe was probably quite wealthy, probably quite wealthy, quite well-educated, and using her wealth for the gospel. Clearly, she'd helped Paul's ministry. We know in, in the gospels there were women who also funded Jesus' ministry. And for Paul, he really values Phoebe. He says to the church in Rome, welcome Phoebe. Give her anything that she needs to help her ministry flourish. The next woman we meet is Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila are a husband and wife gospel team. And we know from other places in the book of Acts that they served Jesus together and had a huge impact for the gospel. The next woman we meet, Junior. Down at verse 7, Andronicus and Junior, another husband and wife gospel team, Paul says they're outstanding among the apostles. I skipped one. Verse 6, Mary, great Mary who worked very hard for you. Jump down to verse 12. There's three women mentioned, Tryphena, Trephosa, Persis. Verse 13, we've got Rufus's mother. The list goes on. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Paul was a misogynist. There's this idea out there that Paul was a misogynist. He clearly here deeply valued the role of women in the church. In the early church, he clearly valued the contribution of women in God's gospel team. And friends, it's got to be the same in our church. We need to be, and I think we are, a church that values the contribution of women, their voice, their leadership, their servant hearts. And as I look around this room tonight, I know there are so many people in this room, so many women who have served tirelessly for the gospel, using their gifts, using their time to honour Jesus. And I'm so thankful for you all. Uh, Just personally, on the pastoral team, I share a desk with, I share an office with Two women, Betsy and Susan, who are both pastors that sharpen me and encourage me in ministry, and they're a pleasure to serve alongside. And so we've got this beautiful picture of this diverse church, race, class, gender. And friends, we've got to to value that kind of diversity in the church. Too many people look for a church where everyone is like them, Everyone is the same age as them or the same stage as them. 
But how wonderful when we're part of a church with all kinds of different ages and stages. We're sitting on the same pew as someone who's very rich and someone who's very poor serving one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So it's a diverse list. The last thing I think that's just quite amazing about this list is how much Paul loves them. Did you notice that? Paul loves them. These aren't just colleagues of Paul, you know, colleagues he kind of finds it annoying working alongside. No, he, he deeply, deeply loves these people. He's not a pastor who uses the gifts of his people and just uses people. He loves them. Look at verse 1. Our sister, Phoebe. Beautiful way to talk about her. Verse 5. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend. Verse 9, my dear friend Stachus. Verse 11, my fellow Jew. And then verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe that's something we need to institute a bit more here at 6 p.m. A bit more holy kisses on the way in and the way out. Um, it's not very COVID safe. Maybe we need to do a holy, holy elbow bump or something like that. It's, it's a greeting for the early church with affection and with love. Uh, Paul loved these people. He loved these people deeply, and he's thankful for them. Let me ask you, when was the last time you expressed your thankfulness and gratitude to someone in our church who has served you, who has taught you the Bible, who has led you, or in an informal way who just had the right word of encouragement to say to you in the pew, helped you when you were feeling down, welcomed you into church? When was the last time you just showed your gratitude? Let's be a church that's overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness and joy for the contributions of others. Personally, as I look out in this room, I'm so thankful for so many of you and the way you serve. And so there's Paul's first big point, workers Honour and appreciate the workers, this diverse group of people who are working hard for Jesus. But there's some people that Paul doesn't want them to welcome. There's some people Paul does not want the Church of Rome to embrace and to greet. In fact, he wants them to do the opposite. He wants them to avoid them. And they're the wolves. Point number two, avoid the wolves. The Right after Paul's been so positive, he says, watch out for the false teachers. They're the wolves, those who teach contrary to the Bible. Have a look at verse 17. Verse 17. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and obstacles and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. In 2017, three ISIS terrorists walked into a hospital in Afghanistan. And they walked into that hospital dressed as doctors. As they entered that hospital, they looked like doctors. They were trusted like doctors are trusted. But they were not there to heal They were there to harm. And on that day, tragically, 38 people lost their lives. 
And the Bible, often when the Bible talks about false teachers, it describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing. They're people who, like Paul says here, they have smooth talk and flattery. They sound like Christians and they speak things that seem really cool and attractive and they seem trustworthy, but they're actually there to deceive, to lead people astray. And the way you can tell them is whether they teach things that are in line with the Word of God or contrary to it. We believe the Bible is God's precious Word. And when someone speaks and says something contrary and doesn't repent and doesn't retract it but keeps preaching it, we need to avoid those people, Paul says. You've got to know there is false teaching around today. There still is. When someone says, oh, that passage of Scripture, you know, it was written a while ago and, you know, it, it kind of meant something different uh, to the people back then. And, you know, if we're really going to be in, relevant to culture today and, you know, if we want to see the church to grow, we've got to adapt with the times. And so we really, I mean, let's just leave that out or let's interpret that differently. Or someone who preaches something different about God's view of how you become a Christian and whether you're saved by being a good person. Or preaches something different to what the Bible says about marriage or sexuality. Or whether the historicity of Jesus is important or not. This false teaching is alive and well today. Let's be a church that hungers for the truth of God's word, that loves the truth of God's word and submits to what God wants to say. One of my favorite things as a preacher, and I know this is the case with the other preachers as well, is when I say something like, have a look at verse 17, and I see everyone's heads go down because they're looking down at the Bible. That is the best thing as a preacher. I love it. Because you see people following in the Scriptures. That's where the power comes from. That's where the authority comes from. And it means I know people are checking that what I'm saying isn't made up, but that it's there in God's Word. So we've got to love God's Word and embrace it. Well, Paul says keep away from these people that teach false teaching. And I think, really? I thought, I thought we were told to be you know, a church of unity. I thought unity was really important. Why would we want to divide when someone just thinks something different to us? I mean, isn't that the last thing the church needs, more disunity? Well, you remember a few weeks ago, we we did preach in Romans 14 about disputable matters. There are some things when Christians can disagree, and it's okay to not break the unity. You can still be unified, because there are things that aren't big things or aren't in the Bible. Can a Christian get a tattoo or not? People have different opinions. That's okay. We don't need to, you know, break fellowship over that or break the unity over that. But when someone preaches something that is contrary to the word of God and refuses to change, we're called. Paul says here, keep away from them. I think sometimes we we care more about whether we're seen as divisive and narrow-minded than we do about whether we care for the truth. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you can spot false teaching easily. But what about the new Christian? 
your brother and sister who's just become a believer. They're, they're, they're trying to work out what God says and what's, what's true and how God wants them to live. What about them? How do we protect them from the attacks of wolves? Take it, that's why Paul says, keep away from these people. Now, let's be a church that loves the truth of the word, loves to submit to what God says, loves to hear God's voice. So Paul firstly talks about the workers. Appreciate this gospel team, this diverse team working hard for Jesus. Number two, the wolves, a warning to avoid them. And lastly, how does he end this masterpiece? Worship. Workers, wolves, worship. He calls us to worship God. You know, you were made for worship. You and I were made for something more than the here and now. You and I were made to worship God, to serve him. The chief end of all creation is worship. And there's a war for our worship on. Because there's all kinds of other things that want our worship, and yet we're called to find true joy in worshiping the one true living God. And it's only right that that's how Paul ends. After all, this whole letter he's been writing has been about all that God has done through Jesus. And so he's got to end with worship. In fact, this last little bit, verses 25 to 27, just sums up the whole letter. Have a look at it, verse 25. If you know Romans well, you'll see all kinds of themes from Romans coming in right here. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Why are we worshipping? Why did Paul say? Well, he's the one, God is the one who has established us in the gospel, who saved us, who helps us persevere in the gospel. He's the one who has revealed to us what was in the Old Testament all along, this good news of Jesus. He's the one who's called us to obedience and faith. To him be the glory forever. As the band comes up, let me ask you, when was the last time you stopped and worshipped God. I, I, I don't mean on a Sunday. Of course, we worship God together on a Sunday and in all kinds of ways, including in song. But I just mean throughout your week, when was the last time you just actually stopped and consciously said, God, thank you. You're just so good to me. When was the last time you stopped and reflected on the gospel? That even though you were so sinful, God gave you what you didn't deserve and gave up his son for you. When was the last time you stopped and worshipped God and said, Hallelujah? To the only wise God. Who else, who else could be so wise to come up with the gospel? That God found, found a way to punish our sin and save us from our sin by sending his son. To the only wise God, be glory forever and ever.
And so that's how this book ends of Romans. God's people working hard, a diverse gospel team, clinging to the truth of the scriptures and avoiding error, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together before we worship God in song. God, you are worthy of all the praise, all the honour, all the glory. We thank you that you have saved us through Jesus. This glorious message, the gospel. Thank you for all the people who have been gospel workers, who've taught us about Jesus, who've led us in Jesus, encouraged us. For all the people in this room right now who are using their gifts to serve you, help us to persevere. Protect us from wolves. Protect us from false teaching. Help us to love your word and persevere. And Lord, we just want to give everything over to you in worship. To you alone belongs all the praise and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.